Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. I invite you to remain standing for a moment out of respect to God's Word as Avery comes to read from us from Isaiah chapter 40. This is the section of Isaiah that makes a transition that occurs in Isaiah in chapters 36 and 37. The first 35 chapters are about the words of woe and warning to the people of Israel. In chapter 36 and 37, there's a shift of a God of presence and a God of comfort, a God who reminds his people that God both has a spirit of discipline and the spirit of presence. That's not an either or, it's a both and. So Avery, will you lead us in scripture, please? Hear the word of God. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. Thank you, God, that your word never fails, that your promises are always true. Would you show us your word and your covenant that is in your word, your grace that is in your covenant? your goodness that's in your grace, your love that is in your goodness, and yourself in your love. And all in the face of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that stands between me and your people, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people did say... Amen. So today, when we look at the four words, we're going to lift up four words for you in a minute to walk you through. But uh, this is not a sermon of apologetics. Apologetics from the Greek, uh, apologia, which is basically to defend the faith or the truth of Scripture. So this is not a, a sermon to try to defend the truth of Scripture. Rather, it's the beginning, the assumption of the truth of Scripture. So a separate conversation would be uh, how to prove the veracity, the truth, the durability of the truth of Scripture. This assumes that. Um, but I want to lift up two things specifically in that large kind of scope as, as a bedrock. And the first is that whenever we come to a difficult passage, um, we don't read the entire Bible through one passage. We read 
that particular passage through the whole of the Scripture. This is part of a Wesleyan approach to the reading of Scripture when it comes difficult. So, for example, people would say, Paul said in Corinthians that women are to be silent in church. Yes, he did. That's what he told the church of Corinth. Now, let's look at the whole of Scripture. What is the witness of how God uses and Christ witnesses in the work of women in the life of the church? I rest in the case of, number one, the virgin birth, without whom we wouldn't have a Savior. Right? So let's look at the whole of Scripture. You can even look at the Old Testament. Uh, women like Deborah, prophets. You can look at um, all through Esther and see Esther's presence. And you can look in the New Testament. You see it was the women who got to the tomb first. You can look at Paul's ministry and see even with Paul, his ministry would not have happened without the women in the life of the church. So what we do is we read a particular passage against the whole of Scripture. And then the other thing that's really important in this Wesleyan heritage is, I want to lift up two things. First is, John Wesley himself said he was sola scriptura, a man solely of Scripture. So the historical language about the faith of the grounding of the orthodoxy, the orthodoxy, the right teaching of the faith is sola gratia, which is all grace, sola fide, all faith, sola scriptura, all and solely Scripture. And so one of the tensions within our larger Methodist history is some say, well, Wesley didn't really mean only Scripture. He just meant primarily Scripture. And he didn't. He meant Scripture. Uh, here's how he says it a different way in his, in his um, introduction of preface to his standard sermons. Wesley says, oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be homo unis libri, which is a man of one book. Thomas Aquinas mentioned these words some 500 years before Wesley. We're grounded in the words of Scripture that all Scripture is God-breathed. The beginning point of this sermon is God's truth is revealed in Scripture. It is timeless. It is transcendent. It is the beginning point. It's not up for debate. It may need to be debated and studied to understand its context, but its truth is infallible and timeless. So I... I was out for a couple of days and Sean said to me before I took off the trip to Frisco that, um, hey, the garage door sensor says low battery. Do you all have one of those? Like you've got your alarm system, it's all wireless. And so it's really cool. It tells you. So I go out and I replace the batteries. You know, the little flip thing by your garage door where you can punch in your numbers in case everything else is locked. And it works great until there's no power, right? So I replace the batteries, I leave, and she says, hey, did you replace the batteries? It's still going off. I said, yeah. So I come home, I replace the batteries again. She says, hey, it's still saying low sensor. I go out a third time, I replace the batteries again. It still says low sensor. And then it finally dawns us in conversation as yesterday we were actually walking out the door to the garage. There was this real gentle... It was the keypad for the entire alarm system that has to be recharged once a year. When it said garage door, it meant the door to the garage, not the garage door. <laughs> I, I want to just lift it up for you because when we think about how we determine the truth of life and how we understand the lens through which we view all things, there is a timeless truth of Scripture that is the lens through which we see the world. It reveals the heart of God who has never stopped loving us, never stopped seeking us, never stopped desiring that intimate relationship with us. 
So here is your two-sentence sermon on sanctification in the Wesleyan heritage. What God did for us in justification by dying for our sins on the cross, comma, God does through us in the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. What God did for you, he wants to do through you. And what happens if we really look at our life through this lens to see where do we fit in God's story, not how do we fit God's story and God's truth into us? One of the great fallacies of our world today is that we think we know so much more than people did in the past. We may have more information at our disposal, but I would suggest to you we are more ignorant than folks in the past. You can go to Israel today to a place called Zippori, where we believe that Jesus and um, his father Joseph worked during the day. Remember, he was a master carpenter. Well, Zippori was just sort of, it was sort of the river oaks of, of the Holy Land area. And folks would, would come over from Nazareth and walk the day. And so Zippori had lots and lots of resources, amazing mosaics and, and um, archaeological evidence you can see there today, including the aqueduct system. And they learned how to create an aqueduct system that took the water uphill, subterraneously. Don't tell me we know more. They didn't have lasers. They didn't have GPS. They figured it out. And when we approach things, we think, oh, we know so much more. But I would suggest to you, there are timeless truths that while the dynamics may change, the paradigm is exactly the same. Our life isn't the story we try to fit God into. Our life is meant to be the story that's created by God who waits for us and wants us to respond and wants us to return the love with which we have been loved, that everlasting love. Or as 1 John 1 says, we love because what? God has first loved us. So four words that are going to be the bedrock of what this timeless truth can mean for you and me. The first word is of. That's an odd kind of word, isn't it? Of, we are created in the image of God. It's an important word. Uh, what does this tell you about your relationship, God, from the very beginning? God created us in his image, says Genesis 1:27. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Understanding that there's a purposefulness for how we are created. And a culture that wants to say your identity can be simply whatever's, whatever makes you feel right or whatever is crazy. It's crazy. We, we believe in the grounded sense of identity that comes from being created by God. As one theologian said, you literally are the exhale of a God. And your identity in God and who you are grounded in Scripture is both your compass and your rudder. Identity helps you know who you are and where you're going. And if you don't know that, then if you don't start at that beginning point, you'll have no idea where to go. And what happens is many people just sort of wander aimlessly through life. We proclaim that we were created in the image of God. This is not up for debate. This is the scriptural truth. It is the word upon which we stand. One of those promises. Second word I'll give to you is and. Before I move too deep in this and is that God pursues and has expectation of us and his creation. In other words, God is both one that has expectations and is one who continues to pursue us. The easiest way I can explain this before I give you a biblical justification is to give you the, the image of that child that is in your house who, who, who may not actually be doing what you want them to do. 
And while you may be disappointed because you say, for example, don't throw the football in the house, don't put this item in the microwave, it'll ruin it, and it happens anyway, you, you may not be happy with the event of what's happened, but it doesn't mean you stop loving that child because that is your child, your loved one. And what we have a tendency to do is we, have the, we bow to this world's message and fallacy that the only way that you can be loved by God is to say that everything you do must be blessed by God. If that's true, then my mother and my dad would have never loved me. I can remember that I will... You know, I'm not going to tell you the events that proved this in my life. I'll just say during high school, more than once this was made clear to me. And as I told you in All Saints Sunday... My mother never stopped telling me that phrase. Remember who you are. Remember you cannot be replaced. In a couple times she said, if you do that again. <laughs> and maybe you've heard your mother say this to you. I want you to understand, young man, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. <laughs> I still believe that today. So there's an and sense. What does it mean? It means there's, a, there's a, a God who creates us and pursues us, but he guides us and he has expectations for us. And that's called the call of discipleship. We see it lived out in the life of Jesus, where there is, if you are going to follow me, pray like this. Or you look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. The way you live, the choices you make, need to make you distinctive from the world that's around you in such a way that people would want to know, who is this Christ that you follow? But I want to lift up before you Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 23, that I believe shows the sense of the righteousness of God, the, the glory of God, and the sense of, as creation, God both pursues and knows this difference, but wants to continue to draw us to himself. Moses cries out to God, and he says, show me your glory. I mean, you've done something similar, right? God, I need you to show up. And the Lord said to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, God is telling Moses, I'm, there is a God, I'm him, and you're not. Right? But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. And the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Oh, I could preach all day on that. There's a place we could stand near Christ on a rock. I heard a phrase in a book I was listening to in my travels. Do not stoop when the gospel calls you to stand. Love that imagery. Don't stoop when the gospel calls you to stand. And when my glory passes by, says the Lord, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. God's glory cannot be seen by Moses and he still lives, and yet God's going to prepare the way for that intimate encounter even in the Old Testament. And then God says, I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. God was pursuing Moses and providing the way that his encounter could be with him. This is ultimately fulfilled in the person of Christ. One who always encountered people, and think about the encounters that Jesus had with people. Did Jesus encounter anybody whose life wasn't different after the encounter? They may not have made a change. They could be the young rich fool, but at least he went away sad, for he had many possessions. But time and again, when there's an encounter with Christ, life is different because of that encounter. It's a God who loves you 
and a God who expects things of you, and a God who would discipline you, and a God, no matter what you have done, will not change his love for you because you are his child. This is the good news of the gospel. And since we're approaching uh, the season of Advent, just cannot leave off this little word, with. It is God who wants to be with us. Emmanuel, we'll start singing next week. Emmanuel, his name is called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. This with changed everything. It's a reminder that from generation to generation, God has always wanted to be with his people. He's never forgotten them. He's never forsaken them. He led them in the wilderness through a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He led his people through raising up the prophets. There were 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew when this withness was distant. Jesus comes as the incarnation. God breaks into human history to say, I am with you. And this withness is celebrated on Christ the King Sunday, a week early in the liturgical calendar of the year. The triumphant nature of Christ who has conquered death, conquered sin, so God can be with you forever. So when I had that conversation with James Ermus, I wasn't having trying to create things. I could lean both into the mystery of what is unknown and into the reality of what we claim to be, that we will be fully known by God and fully know. Because God is with us. It's been said, where is God in those times in difficulty when there's tragedy? Whether it be in the war or the prisoners or the victims of violence. The best phrase I've ever heard is God was with the person that was the victim in their brokenness and with them in their tears. God was with the one who was in prison. That's why I love our Kairos ministry so much. Because it reminds the men who will never get out that God is with them. And it leads ultimately to the important word that will be culminated in Christmas. The word in. That as much as God wants to be and has been with us, it transcends for a Christ who dwells in us. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 26, 26 through 27 Paul says this, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the Lord's people. In other words, the presence of Christ has revealed God's desire to be with His people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of His mercy, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, which is the hope. You see, friends, your story has a beginning that you were created in the image of God. Your story is filled with God's presence, lived in the tension of the and moments when what you have done does not follow in God's will, desire for your life, and yet he forgives you, and he has never stopped loving you. God's always been with you and made a way for you. He's never abandoned you. And in Christ, he offers the invitation to this relationship with him by entering into this life of love to be led, to be guided and guarded on every aspect by the wounded healer of Galilee, Christ who says, come to me all. It's not come to me some. It's not come to me when you get it figured out. It's not come to me when you've read enough scripture. It's not come to me when you've confessed enough sin. It simply is come to me. In fact, when Jesus calls the disciples and they say, Rabbi, where are you going? Do you know what he responds? Come and see. 
Friends, come and see. God has always been present. He was present in the garden. He was present in the covenants, the commandments, the priests, the prophets, and the kings. Even when our sins separated us from God, He's always been present. He breaks into human history. He is present with us in Christ. This is hope. This is our hope. And this is our desire that every person would know and experience the fullness of God with you. It doesn't mean you're going to understand everything. Jesus said, did not say, take up thy cross and have a nice day. Nor did he say, come to me and I'll remove all your questions. What he said was, my peace I give to you, not like the world can give, but I give you a peace that this world can never give. That shalom of God means that God's presence transcends, that what you don't know won't keep you from what you believe in him. Friends, you are created in the image of God. He equips you for what he expects of you as his creation. He's always been with you, and in Christ he dwells in you and fills you with his Holy Spirit. Face of all that we don't know, I've told you this story, but I'm going to tell it again. My dad had been diagnosed with metastatic melanoma cancer. He went to the Holy Land with us. He knew that he would not live more than nine months. He was wondering as a pastor, how was he going to tell the congregation that he had cancer and he was dying? Because he'd always been in the caregiving mode, right? He'd never been in the receiving mode. And he sat outside the garden tomb area and he heard our guide say something to us the first day, Amnon. And Amnon said, as you tour the Holy Land, don't let what you don't know keep you from believing in the miracle. So as he sat, and I said, Dad, do you want to go down the garden tomb? And he said, no, Bert. He said, I've been here. I'd like to watch. I've had that experience, and I want to watch the face of people when they come out of the tomb. And I see their experience. So we sat together quietly for a moment. And my dad was really, really good at, um, well, he would say things like this. Well, did your mother tell you? He would fish all the time in conversation. Did mom tell me what, Dad? I... He said, well, I think I figured it out. I said, well, Dad, what have you figured out? He said, I figured out what I want to do. When I get back, I want to go to the senior pastor, Tommy, and ask if I could preach because I think words of Amnon are true. I need to be able to tell the people that what I don't know about the mystery of death doesn't keep me from believing in the miracle of life eternal in God. Then he went back and he preached that. And for the remainder of his life, what we celebrated in my dad's life was that for all of his ministry, he taught people to live, but for the last eight months of his life, he taught people how to die in Christ. Friends, we need to know how to live in Christ so that we know how to die in Christ. You need to know that you are created by God in his image. You are loved by him. He desires to fill your life, and nothing you have ever done or will ever do will change his love for you. What do we mean when we mean Christ is king? We mean he has a kingdom that is yet to come. But you and I, to that point, we join with God's work. And we don't let what we don't know keep us from believing in the miracle that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the one who came, the one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the one who seeks and desires to dwell in your heart and fill your life. This is what we know to be true. This is our faith. This is who we are. Let's pray together. Oh God eternal, we are so grateful. Grateful that you love us like a parent loves a child. No, God, you love us like a parent loves a grandchild. I've learned that. 
that love God that carries us, always pursues us. We just say thank you. So as we move into the season of Thanksgiving, um, there's so much focus on this. God, I, I pray that this will be difficult for some because it'll be the first Thanksgiving for many. So would your peace fill the hearts of those for whom this is difficult because of ones they have lost and loved? For tensions and relationships, God, would you not let it change the focus of what you want to do in each person's life in this place? Would you help us both the people who stand on the promises of Christ our King and can proclaim the words that you are Lord and we can proclaim that there's a mystery that we do not fully know, but it will not keep us from believing in the miracle of who you are and who we are loved by you in Christ. For we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen.